I always thought if I make a little bit more money, it'll solve my credit card problem. It'll solve the fact that I can't get a car note. Nope. Nope. It's the biggest myth going. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest. I think it's one of the biggest money myths out there is that, oh, if I made more money, this would be easier. And I would always tell people you would make more money and still be you. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington. This is where you come every week to learn more about what it means to chase purpose, not money. But I'm super excited about this particular season of the podcast because we are really going all in on practical money tips and things that you just need to incorporate in your financial life. Now, if you're brand new here, here's what you need to know. This community believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We do believe in the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's about the condition of well-being. So my guests today, yes, they're going to give some practical financial you know, guidance around budgeting and some other things, but we're also going to get into some of the why. Today's episode, we really get into how inflation is already giving you a pay cut and if you have not asked for a raise or promotion before, this is definitely your time and you're going to learn how and why. And then we also talked about why every family needs to have its own money philosophy. It's so good. It's so good. I can't wait for you to hear. But before we get into the episode, let's do our affirmation of the week. You know, you got to speak positivity into your life. You gotta affirm positivity. You gotta affirm abundance. You gotta affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is learning about money is easy and fun. I believe that there is no one way to be successful with money. So I'm excited to chart my own course. Instead of lamenting over what I don't know yet, I lean into being consistent with the money principles I do know and allow myself to evolve from there. I understand that nothing has meaning except for the meaning that I assign to it. So I reject other people's negative money mindsets and instead embrace my own positive outlook. My money is growing and growing because I've learned that what I nurture definitely does grow. So declare with me today, learning about my money is easy and fun. Today's guests are Joe Saul Sihai and Emily Guy Birkin. Stacking Benjamin's podcast hosts, Joel Saul Sihai and best-selling finance author Emily Guy Birkin have teamed up to dominate the personal finance space with their new book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And I can tell you, 
neither one of them are super serious. But anywho, <laughs> in the book, Joe and Emily share a step-by-step guide to financial literacy delivered with their signature blend of shrewd advice and laugh-out-loud humor. They cover everything from investing and budgeting to side hustles and personal finance apps while also sharing stories of their own successes and failures, as well as insights from previous podcast guests. Without further ado, here is Joe and Emily. What's up, guys? Hey there. What's happening? (laughs) Okay, so I already said I have met these guys several times. We've attended the same conferences, and I've gotten a chance to be on Stacking Benjamins as well. And they are not super serious. They they are not super serious at all. Um, but they are talking about a serious topic. But what I love about you being here is I know that you're going to make it fun because I really believe that when resistance is down, then people can actually receive the information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the, but, it, it, part of the reason, Patrice, we wrote this book is that there was a study I read by a group called Nonfiction. The study I read by a group called Nonfiction, it's called uh, The Secret Financial Lives of Americans, shows 150 million people cry about their money. They cry about it. So clearly, we're leaving too many people behind. And I think that to get to the serious conversations that money nerds want to have, we got to lighten it up. So we were excited to do that. Yeah. I mean, and not even money nerds, right? Because I know a lot of my audience, I don't think they would consider themselves money nerds they are probably in that segment of people who are just crying or trying to get away from it or allowing themselves to be distracted so they don't have to actually deal with it. And Mm -hmm. I believe that's why people love redefining wealth because I don't even talk about money. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I bring guys like you, right? Like I don't even talk about money anymore, but as you know, I do talk about all the parts of life that impact your finances. But Mm -hmm. why I'm so excited about this season is that you guys really get into it. And in the book, you guys mentioned the top three reasons people struggle uh, with budgeting. Emily, like, let's get into it. One of the things you guys say is they don't check the budget against their plan and they neglect Mm -hmm. to ask themselves the question, where the hell am I going with this? Okay, let's talk about it. (laughs) Yes. So um, we tend to think of budgeting and a lot of this has to do with because in financial media to write an article about how to budget all you can do is do the the first thing, which is, you know, sit down, figure out how you've spent money in the past, make plans for how you're going to spend it in the future. And to actually create a budget, you got to do more than just that. You know, that's, that's the first thing you do. And then you got to make a consistent plan to keep coming back over and over again, tweak things, check on how things are going. Uh, and some of this is just logistical. You can't write an article that has you come back <laughs> several weeks later. Um, but that means that people will sit down and do like a huge, like, all right, I'm going to get my money in order this year. So let me look at how I've spent money, what I'm going to do. I'm going to plan. I'm going to track. I'm going to do all of these things. They sit down, they do that. They feel great. And then three months later, they realize they're in the same spot they were before because they haven't paid any attention to their money after that initial, you know, push to, to make a budget. And so what I think is really helpful is to start thinking of budgeting as like some of the other grown-up chores we have to do, like laundry. 
So because there you're never done laundry. So fun. Because laundry is way fun. <laughs> well, people walk by their laundry just like they walk by that initial budget. Yes. Right. Like you may wash it, but it's the folding. It's, it's mm-hmm. the folding that goes to hell for me. Yes. People, right. Yes. And so I I have a joke, you know, every Sunday I'm I I like that's generally when we do our laundry and like we do all of it for the family of four plus a dog and a cat. It's a lot. And so as I'm folding up, I'll say to my husband and kids, I'm like, surely I must be coming close to the end of the laundry by now. I've been doing laundry for over 25 years. I must be close to close to done soon. No, you're never done in the same way that you're never done with money. And when I was in college, I was one of those people who, you know, I would get close to uh, having no clothes to wear and I would run to the Target in town and buy underwear so that I didn't have to do laundry so I could, I could eke out another couple of days. Emily, I thought that I was know. a guy thing. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know women did that. Oh, I, it was, uh, I, it, I'm, I'm not proud <laughs> and I'm not saying I did it that often, but I did do it more than once. Um, and it took, um, getting to a point where I was like frustrated with myself and, um, disgusted with the fact that like, I want to wear something that looks a little more professional today because I'm going to be giving a, a, a talking class or whatever, and not having it available that I realized, no, I need to get this under control. I need to stop having the boom and bust laundry cycle, which is what I kept doing. And so I need to get on a system. And I think uh, budgeting is a similar thing where a lot of times people do get to the place where they're like, all right, I'm going to do this because they get tired of the boom and bust cycle of budgeting. But I think that with money, because there are so many things in place that allow you to keep putting it off, um, it's the you know financial equivalent of going and buying underwear <laughs> at Target uh, so you don't have to deal with it. Um, so people uh, don't necessarily get into that where they go like, all right, I have to do this and I have to be consistent about it. And I have to make sure that this is something that I know I'm just going to be doing week after week. And, and, and that's why Cheryl and I, Patrice, my spouse and I, our, our budget meeting is less about like a spreadsheet. It's less about an app. It's a conversation. Mm-hmm. And we set a timer for 20 minutes. It's once a week. We always do it over wine or pancakes, depending on what time of day it is, because it's got to be fun. And we're serious about it. If, 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 if we're still doing it at 20 minutes, we stop. But what's cool is, is that after that 20 minutes and, and the 20 minutes, by the way, for everybody, it's, it's super easy. We scroll through all the expenses we had the week before, and we just look at how we spent money. Cause a lot of times it automatically comes out of our account. And we forget. Mm-hmm. And then we just look at how we're going to spend money the next week. And that's all we do every once in a while. We'll look at our investments together. We'll talk about maybe an insurance policy that's coming up, you know, the renewals coming up, but generally it's those two things. We keep it simple. But when we do that, Then we have these unintentional money talks that are really cool the rest of the week. And we're thinking about it the rest of the week, but keep it short, keep it fun. And I think you're going to do it more often. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, So one of the things that you said kind of throws off a budget as well, though, is that people don't get buy-in from their partners. Mm -hmm. So do you think that they don't get buy-in because they don't have the simple keep it fun weekly quick check-in or because personalities just differ like what what is your take i think it's actually both of those Mm -hmm. things 
you know, Cheryl and I used to fight about money, which is why we created this thing that works for us. And we kept it fun because of the fact that, that, that she didn't want to have that deep discussion that Joe money nerd wanted to have. And, uh, and so we needed to have something and we also need to have a thing where there was no judgment, you know, like, I don't know, we would have these fights and the fight was always, we'd both buy something really important for our family. Like Cheryl would come home with school clothes for our twins. And I'd come home with the latest video game, like both very important for our family, Patrice, hugely important, but, Uh but, but, but we didn't talk about it. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong. We should buy the thing that gives us some joy. Cheryl, this was back, you know, my kids are 26 now. This was back when at the end of the grocery style, uh, grocery store aisle, they had the, uh, the latest movie. And mm-hmm. Cheryl would always buy the DVD. I'm like, why are you buying the DVD when we could rent it for a day? You're going to watch it once. So I was getting judgy about her. And she was definitely judgy about me and the video games. And we weren't talking enough about priorities. So making it fun, stop judging, give each other an allowance. In the early days, we had an allowance. Mm-hmm. So much better and, and solves a lot of money fights just with a 20-minute meeting. And I got to tell you, the wine and pancakes make it even more fun. So. <laughs> well, I, could, to, I could imagine. And to piggyback on that, um, I, I think a lot of times what happens is uh, there's a clash of financial values between yeah. uh, um, spouses. And then there's also a clash of kind of like a financial psychology. Uh, and so because as a culture, we don't talk about money, we don't necessarily even know that we have these financial values or this financial psychology. We just think, well, this is how money is. And then it's not like our, our spouse isn't doing the same thing that we think is just normal mm-hmm. and it, it's causing friction and we don't even have the words to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. um, there, for an example, when my husband and I were first married, um, I was going to a cousin's wedding uh, in Las Vegas, actually. And so I bought this amazing black dress that I found on consignment. So like that was very, very frugal. I was, I was good on being frugal and my husband really appreciated that. And then, but I needed some fabulous shoes to go with it. And so I spent, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was about like $80 on a pair of shoes that I knew I was only going to wear once. And my husband just couldn't wrap his head around it. He was like, what? That's $80 for something you're for one night. And I was like, yeah, but it goes with the dress. And if I don't have the right shoes, the dress won't look right. And it's also for my cousin's wedding. I mean, this is for family. And so our, our values were in conflict there. Um, because for him, you know, he does not necessarily value like fashion and things like that. And, 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 you know, a certain type of looking put together, uh, this is the man who on more than one occasion has worn a sweater inside out, out and about in public. <laughs> and when I've been like, do you want to go fix that? He's like, meh, it's uh, fine. Right, <laughs> so, right. So yeah, fashion sense, your values around fashion sense. Are yeah, our, our values are well. very, very different there. So <laughs> what, and I then, love, what I love about this though, Emily, to your, um, to your example, one of the things that I always talk to couples about is to not be judgy like mm-hmm. like what you're saying joe because we get our money values oftentimes for how we were raised from our experiences our backgrounds our environments like what our parents may have done or not done with money and our spouse is coming from a completely different mm-hmm. environment even if yeah. they were your next door neighbor yeah. right even yeah. if you guys grew up in the same neighborhood in the same city 
there's still so many differences and it's not right or wrong or I'm right, you're wrong. It's just, we're different. And once we can understand to what money represents to our significant other, I think it allows us to have more compassion mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm actually going through a divorce right now. However, I will say that for many years, my husband and I would sit down and we would have our money Mondays where we would sit and talk about money similar, not over pancakes. Maybe that's the problem, Joe. Maybe I should have <laughs> had pancakes that was, and wine. That's probably the key you missed right there. That was the key. Next time around, I got it. But so we would have these these talks but what really allowed us to get on the same page, though, honestly, for many years was that I came to understand that for him, money, like giving gifts was a part of his love language. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that he was just spending money frivolously. He wanted to shower my daughter and I with gifts. But as the money nerd in the family, I mm -hmm. would always be like, but did I need it in three colors? <laughs> no, I did not. Right. Because for me, money meant more security and stability. And mm -hmm. I never was really into gift giving or gift receiving. And so the first part of our marriage, it was rocky around these things because I kept feeling like, why are you wasting money? But to say to someone that they're wasting money when in their minds, they're showing you love. Yeah. And that was like the first couple years of marriage. I've, I've had a similar thing with my husband because he is, um, he's very, very frugal and for him, he shows love with like an act of service. Uh, he's an automotive engineer. And so when we were first dating, um, and I was driving old cars, he would say like, Oh, you've got, you know, something going on. I'll take care of it for you. And then, you know, he would, uh, um, you know, get into the engine full grease monkey and then find a bigger problem that couldn't be solved quickly. And so at, at that point, I'm without a ride. <laughs> and now you're irritated. And now I'm irritated. And I'm like, and I would, I, I, even though I had very little money, I would have preferred to send it to a mechanic because then they would have to give me a rental or something. And so, and I would say to him like, I didn't even ask you to do this. And oh, he would get so upset at me. And I now, it's the same sort of thing. I now understand he was very much trying to show me how much he cared about me by doing that. And part of that for him was also, he's saving me money. You know, yeah. like that's another way he's showing that he cares about me. Whereas I was like, I'm happy to spend money on this. And he right. couldn't wrap his head around that. It, it, it I think is you so had, crazy. I think you had the right word, Patrice, compassion. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and I don't know, maybe social media kind of drives us to this, that we feel like we have to be right all the time. I have to defend my point of view all the time. And instead of having that, that more growth feeling of, of where am I maybe wrong? You know, what is this person feeling? Uh, can be so powerful. I have a confession to make. My relationship with looking good is so complicated. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I like high quality clothes. I just don't like going shopping and I definitely don't always want to pay high quality prices, if you know what I'm saying. Plus, I don't always want to wear the same stuff over and over again. So I was super excited when I found out about the clothing rental membership armoire because they are making getting dressed stylish, but super easy. When I signed up, I took a five minute style quiz and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my lifestyle. I'm filming in a few weeks and I literally just got the cutest blazers delivered to my door in as little as two days. And when I'm ready for new clothes, I can just swap them out for more new-to-me styles. So whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for some black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room and you won't have to feel bad for only wearing something once. Now, 
What I also love is that Armoire is women-founded and women-led. They even spotlight women-owned designers on their website. So I know I'm wearing brands that are aligned with my values. I love that I can support a business that's built by women like me. If you're ready to have your dream closet delivered to your door, you might want to try Armoire. I promise you will never be without the perfect outfit for any occasion ever again. And right now, Redefining Wealth listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash wealth. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash wealth to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah. I think the other thing that we tend to do, though, is judge ourselves. Right. Mm. I know that one thing that you touched on in the book is how um, your budget can evolve just like you do. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes for those who do set the budget. Right. Emily. And they are trying to stick to it. And then their life evolves and they're still trying to you know, keep this rigid ideal of how they should be doing things. It's it can be really detrimental because it'll make you feel like you're a failure, even Mm -hmm. though you just need to adjust the numbers based on where you are. I have found that particularly with money, the word should is very, very um, detrimental. So like I, Mm. we should on ourselves basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, for one thing, like if you're making an amount of money that seems for whatever reason to be a huge amount of money and you go like, well, I should be able to make ends meet on this amount of money that doesn't actually help you solve the problem. You know, if you say that to yourself, I should be able to make ends meet, then you, you're not actually solving the problem. You're just making yourself feel bad. So what you need to say is, but I can't. So now what? And then that actually allows you to start problem solving. Uh, When you say I should do this, or I should be able to do that, or I should have done the other, um, what all you're doing is uh, kind of making yourself unhappy and not opening yourself and not giving yourself compassion. You're like, okay, but I'm not, but I can't. Uh, now what do I do? And then that like lets you start, you know, like, oh, okay, well, what are some options? How can I fix this? What are, what are some ways that I can make this better instead of just being angry at myself because I should be something else? There's also different times, I think, of, of life. I think about over my lifetime, there was a period when money was really super tight super tight. And I needed to have that really tight lockdown budget where that video game that I talked about earlier was just, you couldn't do it. We, we needed bread on the table and we did not have money for that. 
And then there came a time when time was much more important than money, meaning that if I had free time, I could then make more money and I needed to get out of the $15 decisions and the $10 decisions. I needed to delegate those to somebody else or to some system because I could make money at a faster rate if I actually spent a little money. So figuring out where you're at in, in your period of life, in this cycle of your life, is going to really help you decide which budget is better for you. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. Same, you can be the same person in different ages and stages of your life and, and, and your values change, mm -hmm. right? Like you said before, Emily, like your values can change. And I know for me, for example, I did a podcast episode, um, in 2021 and it was called pay for peace and it's about that time joe like things that i used to force myself to do on my own like go to the grocery store right and then people go uh why aren't you just using instacart or some grocery delivery service and then i finally used it and i was like oh my gosh right <laughs> at first i was like who pays to like have someone go fondle your apples right, <laughs> right. like what in the world? I'm like, no, now you can't get me to go to the grocery store. I think I've been to the grocery store once or twice this year. And it was just too late before I realized like, oh, we have company and I need to go. We're going to have company. And I need to go grab some stuff. But honestly, it's worth the money mm -hmm. for me to have more peace in my day, in my life, in my week. So whereas that's not something I would have budgeted for you know, you guys have heard the story, obviously, when I was on the bathroom floor, yeah, you yeah. know, crying yeah. and trying to scrape up change. Obviously, if Instacart was a thing back then, I may have been your delivery person. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have been using the service. Right. Mm -hmm. But now I think it's so important for us to be able to reassess and reprioritize like what matters. And it matters more to me to have peace and to have joy and with such a hectic schedule to build in more time for just rest. And I think that it allows me to be a blessing to other people who th this is this is the way that they live. This is their livelihood and this contributes to their financial goals. And I feel like it's a win-win. But if we don't allow ourselves to, to rethink that, then mm -hmm. you can be operating from a place that really no longer serves you mentally or financially. I think this is a super important concept because I think too many people start with what's optimal or what should I be doing? What's the best thing? And when instead, when you start internally, like you're talking about Patrice and you start with you and what do I want and what do I need? And then you work backwards, you know, Stephen Covey, that book, seven habits of highly affected people. When I first read it, when it first came out, I thought, yeah, this is okay. It's all right. But I quote that book all the time. I quote it nonstop. But this idea, and it's in chapter one of our book, of beginning with the end in mind. If you start with what you value and what you want and you work backwards to the budget, you work backwards to your spending, you're going to find those things in alignment. And getting back to my first thing about people crying about their money, you're much less likely to cry about your money if you're doing Instacart because you know why versus you're just a financial disaster and you don't have time to go to the grocery store and you're spending money you don't have. Yeah, so good. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get into the next part because you also talk about increasing your income. And I know Purpose Chasers can't wait to hear about that. So we'll be right back. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Ken Apparel, one of our alumni retreat sponsors and a brand committed to making quality and inclusive products to serve the black community and those with kinky curly hair. While in Cancun, Mexico, our ladies had a blast from fun-filled days at beautiful beaches to intimate moments connecting at the spa. Thanks to Ken, each night we laid our heads on satin bonnet pillowcases, protecting our array of curls. You see, traditional pillowcases are made with cotton, a material that absorbs the moisture in your hair, leaving it dry, frizzy, and prone to breakage. At Ken Apparel, they line their hoods with satin, a smooth and soft material that by nature helps hair retain moisture and stop breakage. Not only do they provide satin pillowcases, they also make satin-lined hoodies, beanies, bucket hats, and satin car headrest covers. Make sure to check them out on all social media platforms at Kin Apparel. That's K-I-N Apparel underscore. And make sure you say you heard about them on Redefining Wealth. Okay, guys. So before the break, I wanted to get into, you talk a lot about budgeting, but then you also get into the best way to increase your income. And that is such a huge discussion um, here in the Redefining Wealth community. So I want to know, why did you wait until after you started to talk about budgeting to mention increasing your income? Because sometimes oh. I think we see that in the reverse. So what was the I love, I love, love, love that question, Patrice, because here's the deal. More money is not going to solve your problem if you have a spending problem. You have to get your checks and balances in place first and then increase your income so you can do the right thing with it. I found myself making more and more and more money when I was a financial planner and I blew more and more and more money. But once I put more financial controls in place, my, my I cleaned up my financial house in a hurry. So yeah, that's why. But I love that you were a financial planner and you were like being silly with money as well. Oh, I was, I was uh, and being silly is not even the thing. I'm I, trying to be kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll tell everybody, uh, you know, I, I was a new financial planner. I was not doing anything that I was telling other people to do. I was across town and this is how bad it got for me on my money journey. I wasn't on the bathroom floor. I was actually, uh, I was in a rusted out minivan cause I couldn't afford any other car. A buddy of mine had told me, by the way, he said, they give car loans to everybody. I'm the guy they wouldn't give a car loan to because of the fact that my credit was so horrible. I, I ran out of gas after a client meeting on the way home and I'm digging. My kids were really young. My wife is still in school. So I was the sole breadwinner and I am digging through these car seats and looking for change. And I found 85 cents. I walked, this is gonna sound like an old guy story. I walked a mile uphill with snow. No, but, but, but I did walk almost a mile to this mobile station. And I remember that because the dude at the station did not Patrice. He didn't want to give me the gas can. Cause he thought I was going to steal it. He was sure I was going to steal the gas can, but I begged him. He finally gave it to me. I put 85 cents worth of gas in and that day I made it home. But as I was filling up the gas tank, I was crying that this was my cry because I thought, you know what? It can't get worse than this. Like I'm, I have, I borrowed money from every family member I know. I have no credit. I have nowhere to turn. I'm telling other, what, a, what kind of a sham am I that I'm telling other people how to manage their money and I'm not doing any of the stuff. But you know what? That was the moment my life changed because I took control. And I said, you know what? I got to stop 
do as I say, not as I do. And I've got to get on board with this. So immediately I changed the people I was around. I, I developed a team of people to help me uh, cover my, 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 my blind spots, which, you know, we tell people to do all the time. Um, and, and I started solving my problem, but yeah, you, the, uh, more money before that, I always thought if I make a little bit more money, it'll solve my credit card problem. It'll solve the fact that I can't get a car. note. Nope. Nope. It's the biggest myth going. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest. I think it's one of the biggest money myths out there is that, oh, if I made more money, this would be easier. And I would always tell people you would make more money and still be you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. With the same mindset, the same relationships, unless you change your circle, possibly the same environment, maybe just more expensive rent and, uh, you know, more expensive car. But you were taking you everywhere you go. And if you don't change you first, there's no way. Yeah. Another aspect of that that I think is really important is if you get started with learning how to budget, you're already in the mindset of understanding what you value, being intentional about what you want to do with money. And then when you talk about, we talk about side hustles in in the book. Um, And a lot of times people think of it as like, okay, well, you know, like I'll drive for Uber, I'll do Instacart delivery, that'll bring in extra money. And um, for people who are like, hey, I I got this last push to to pay off my debt and I want to speed it up. Like, I think that that can be great because, you know, you do that for for a couple of months, whatever, you get the extra money. But for people who are like, well, I need need more money, I need more money, uh, I'm going to do that. Um, well, that's not going to solve your problem and it's going to exhaust you. Um, and it's, uh, and it seems like it's less effort than doing the things that can be, uh, much more sustainable. So like, for instance, we talk a lot about how to ask for a raise in your current job, because in a lot of ways, that's going to be the best way to bring in more income, uh, because, depending on what's going on in the world, what's going, you know, global pandemic, you know, those sorts of things. Um, you're, you're, if you ask for a raise, you're likely to get it. Um, but you have to ask in the right way. And it takes quite a bit of work. You have to do some research. You have to figure out the best time to talk to your, your boss. You have to figure out um, uh, what you've done that you can point to for reasons why you deserve a raise. You need to uh, look at uh, future projects. And a lot of people will be like, oh, that's too much work. I'd rather drive for Uber, you know, in my off time. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and so that's one of those things where, as you said, like just adding more money doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change if you're looking for shortcuts. It doesn't change if you're uh, making decisions that are not going to help you reach your goals. And so having that, uh, that practice of figuring out your intentions, figuring out your values can help you, you know, ask for that raise in a way that's, that's going to be, you know, best possible um, outcome or create a side hustle that is something that you can do sustainably long-term because it's something that you enjoy, that you can offer and that you have a plan for rather than it just being like, you know, well, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll drive for Instacart and that the, on top of what I already do. Right. Patrice, can we, t- can we talk about how important it is to ask for a raise right now? Yeah. Because, because, because very seriously, I mean, if the wealth builders out there are like, yeah, raise sounds good and that's nice and that's more money, but I'll do it later. They announced inflation numbers and not to get too nerdy, but inflation at seven and a half percent. If you don't increase your income by seven and a half percent, you are falling behind. You got a pay cut. 
So you have to get a seven and a half percent raise this year just to keep the wheels on the bus the way they are today. Yeah. And if it's if you know your boss is not going for the raise, one of the other things that you guys say is change jobs for a higher mm -hmm. salary. And I think yeah. a lot of times, you know, especially in my community, that's and it's predominantly women. What I hear is, well, the job that I'm interested in, you need these 15 qualifications and I only have 13. It's like, oh. OK, well, wait a minute. Right. But mm -hmm. a guy will have three and be like, I'm the man. <laughs> Put me in, coach. Right. And so especially in my programs, we're constantly talking to women about like, oh, my gosh, just go for the thing. You don't mm -hmm. have to check every single box. Those may be two things you can learn on the job, but at least go for it. What advice, you know, do you guys even share in the book about changing jobs for that higher salary? Uh, well, one thing it's uh, we, not necessarily in the book because uh, it hadn't happened yet, but mm -hmm. um, we've been seeing, you know, um, with the pandemic and the, the all the aftermath with the great resignation and everywhere you go, you see now hiring signs um, and, you know, every industry is talking about how they, they, they need more people. And so um, this is the first time that I can remember seeing this, but it feels like it's um, like a, a worker's market. Uh, instead of an employer's market. Uh, and so that's something that is is really um, helpful and freeing to be to, to realize, you know, like, I don't have to stay at this rate if, uh, if I don't want to. Um, you know, if I, you, you might love your workplace and for whatever reason want to stay, but you can look and see if there's other, uh, other stuff out there that where you can use your skills and your knowledge and, um, you know, your connections and all of those things to get yourself a job that is going to um, meet your income needs. Uh, and uh, that I think is just a really incredible place to be. Uh, and something that we have not seen in a long time. And also for women, I do just want to say, you are awesome. <laughs> Recognize how awesome you are. Um, I just to, to a side note, I uh, have struggled early on with calling myself a bestselling author um, because my book was a bestseller on Amazon. And in my head, it was just like, well, it's, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times or nothing. And then um, I, so I, I would never describe myself or introduce myself that way. Some guy plagiarized my book um, and yeah, yeah. He, he put it up on, uh, on Amazon as a, a yeah, as a direct um, Kindle purchase. And um, that guy called himself a best-selling author and that's what cured me. I was just like, oh no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. The audacity. No. The and so that's audacity from that moment. I was just like, women need to be, be like just owning their, their awesomeness. Like since that moment, I was just like the, the fact that someone felt like they could do that when I actually could say that and felt like, Oh no, 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 I, I don't want to, I don't want to, don't want to, you know, take too much. So don't well, take it, take what you are, <laughs> own space. what you are, take up space. Yes. Studies show women are more worried about rocking the boat than men are. Mm -hmm. um, um, they are definitely uh, fearful. And part of that is longevity. Part of that's culture. Part of that's longevity. The fact that women are probably going to live longer. So they worry about having sustainable income. And what if I rock the boat too much and I, I get fired? But to your point, studies show that moving from company to company is the fastest way to increase your income. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But even at your own, Patrice, I think people don't negotiate for raises in the right way. They don't understand two things. The first thing they don't understand when they ask their boss for raises, you're, you need to solve the raise problem from your boss's point of view, not yours. So an analogy that we use in the book is every discussion's a cube. So as an example, Patrice and Emily and I sitting here, we've got a cube sitting between us. And if I can see Patrice's side of the cube and what she wants to get done versus worrying about my side of the cube, I'm much more likely to speak her language about what she needs from me. But then the second thing we got to remember is that your boss might not even be the decision maker. Your boss might want to give you a raise and studies actually show they probably do want to give you a raise, but they have a boss of their own. So if you can use that session instead of trying to coerce them to think about it as your boss is your ally and you're giving them ammunition, you're giving them as much stuff as possible so they can go to their boss and talk about what a rock star you are. That's super helpful too. And even if they are the decision maker, it makes the decision much more friendly um, instead of adversarial, which always helps too. You know, as you're, as you're sharing that, Joe, it made me think about one of my team members who approached me for a raise uh, last year and she had a whole folder, <laughs> like, I mean, a whole folder, a whole presentation. And she ended up showing me how much she had saved the business by streamlining a bunch of services because I'm telling you before she came I was like duct taping things together around here <laughs> like I was using Zapier to connect all these different you know softwares and all this stuff and it's like actually there's an app for that right and so she helped bring all that in and was saving x amount of dollars a month which was x amount of dollars a year and then when we looked at that i was like well of course i would rather pass those savings off to her to yeah. a woman that's caring for her family and her children than to you know just be divvying a hundred dollars here two hundred dollars there three hundred dollars mm -hmm. there for all these services that i didn't even really need anymore um and she went through and she canceled things and she negotiated things down and it was so it was wonderful to see it in black and white i could not deny it i could mm -hmm. not deny it mm -hmm. and i I wanted to share that because I think sometimes even when we're having these conversations about raises and talking to your boss, people automatically think, oh, Fortune 1000 company. Well, there are many employees that work with small business owners like like me, like us. Like us, and yeah. And so, mm -hmm. like, be okay with even having those conversations, right? Because I think, you know especially in this in this gig economy too where where you're not where maybe you're not an employee but you're it is your side hustle you're a consultant you're an independent contractor of some kind again if you can see this from my perspective and not just your student loan debt and you can show me how your input is actually impacting my bottom line even as a small business owner and not a fortune 1000 company mm. there there's room to have the conversation and I, I think we need to talk about that too, because a lot of times it's like, oh, I work for this big company and that's the mm -hmm. only way. No. 
I think it's also important to remember that um, to to have a spirit of abundance about it. So um, I actually, I asked for a raise from um, one of my major clients. Um, So as a freelancer, I I write for several different clients. Um, I had been writing for the same amount since December, 2019. And so I was like, I'd like to increase this for 2022. Um, And I was told no. And so I was like, all right, well, I, I need to move on. And I, for about a week, I was a little nervous about it because I went back and looked and I'd written 53 articles for them in 2021. I was like, whoo, boy, I hope I'm going to be able to replace that income. Well, I had that like kind of worrisome week. I was reaching out to, to other, um, uh, other clients to see if they, I could take on my more work. And then a new client came along who was going to pay more than even what I was asking of this client. And so, and it was just like, you know what, it's having that sense of abundance, recognizing that, you know, I do have the skills that I've been doing this as long as I have for a reason. And people do want me writing for them and it'll, it'll, it'll come, it will come. Uh, and that's, that's something, you know, I still struggle with. I've been freelancing for over 11 years. Um, I fell into that early, um, freelancer mistake that is very common where, you know, anything that you get, no matter how little money you're like, well, it's, if, if I don't do this, it'll be taken away from me. You know, I won't find anything else. Um, and letting go of that fear and recognizing just how important, whatever it is that you do, um, what it is for, you know, your clients, for your boss, for your Mm -hmm. employer is, uh, is just, it's really freeing. Yeah. And, and to Joe's point about inflation, right. Like when we are not raising our rates or asking for the raise or the promotion or going to the next job, like we are just p- allowing ourselves to be further and further behind mm-hmm. financially. It impacts every part of our financial lives when we don't ask mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and when we don't take. <laughs> like Some yeah. of it is asking and some of it is just making a decision as yeah. well. Listen, before we start winding down, I have to talk to you guys um, about uh, this was on Stacking Benjamins. Joe, you were talking about why every family needs a money philosophy. I want to circle back to that. I didn't want it, uh, <laughs> us to go without talking about that, but I thought that was brilliant. Um, let's talk about that. Why does every family need a money philosophy? Because this is a number one with a bullet, the reason why there are fights in families, because we don't articulate what we're after. You know, it's funny, we go into work and let's say we work for somebody else, even if we work for ourselves, we go into work and we have this philosophy about how we treat customers, what our product's going to be about, how, how we're going to value the things we do. And then we go home and we have a bunch of emotions and we never talk about that stuff. All this stuff that we think is super critical to talk about in a business, we don't think about talking about in a family. And I think that is so important because, and not just for fights, but to have this sense of unity that we're all headed, we're all headed the same way. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's also important if you have kids, if you have kids, you know, I grew up in a household where we didn't talk about money. And the only reason we didn't talk about money was because my parents, parents didn't talk about money, but families that have a family money philosophy, know how important it is to talk about money and how do we involve our kids without, without uh, scaring them? You know, I don't want to tell them that, that, you know, mom and dad are struggling with money, 
but I certainly want them to know that an ATM machine doesn't have unlimited withdrawals. <laughs> so uh, the magic yeah. money wall. Yes, I think that is. <laughs> I think that's a number one. The thing to talk about is what is our money philosophy? It's a great thing, you know, just driving down the road, just whoever you're planning with, or even if it's just you, just think to yourself, what is my money philosophy? And start there, and then everything blooms from that. And I have um, a, another facet of it. Um, I, I went through a very ugly um, issue with my father's inheritance, um, where I, I was the victim of inheritance theft. And um, some of this, I think, you know, it, it just, it's what happens. But because of that, I've been writing about it. I've been talking about it. I've been hearing a lot of these heartbreaking, tragic stories of families fighting over money after somebody dies. And um, my sister and I are very much on the same page. And, uh, you know, we've never sat down and said, what's our money philosophy? But because we, we experienced a similar thing after our grandmother passed away and we saw some of the, the, um, the negative responses um, among family and my sister and I looked at each other and said, there is nothing that will ever get between us like that. Mm -hmm. We will never let anything get between you and me. You are my sister. I'm your sister like that. And so having that kind of philosophy of like, you know, where does money fit into our relationship? What is it that we value most in this family um, between these two people? Um, before you're in a place where you are overwhelmed with grief and you are lashing out uh, in whatever way, because the world is not the way it was the day before, because someone you mm -hmm. love has passed away. Mm -hmm. And so, and that I think can be another really important aspect of it because then there is a a strength of bond um uh, between people that they're yeah. that they might not have had before because they hadn't talked about it and they get you know so focused on a dollar amount or whatever yeah. one of the i would say my money philosophy with my daughter is experiences over gifts um, like I said earlier, I'm not a I'm not a huge gift giver. I usually just just my time. I talked to you guys before we started about my timing, right? I'm like, oh man, shoot, it's your birthday, huh? Like I'm not <laughs> like I'm not really good at that. If it has to do with like, because I'm also not a shopper. I'm mm -hmm. not an online shopper. I don't do that well, and I don't like to go to malls or go to stores. So if you don't like either of those, you're pretty much a wrap. And so, but I love to plan an experience. I love mm -hmm. to travel or I love to create just a really nice experience. And so I've told my daughter for years, um, mama's experiences, like don't look for expensive gifts for me. It's probably not ever going to happen. But one thing that I do value are experiences and creating memories. So that's what you should look to me for. And I love it. It takes me off the hook. Like last Christmas, we went on a cruise and I didn't give her a doggone thing. And she wasn't looking for anything from me because she knows mom created an experience and that's the way that she shows love and how she chooses to spend her money or invest in certain things. It's not gonna be through gifts. And I, I, I think she appreciates knowing, but also for myself, it doesn't make me feel obligated to do things with my money that are not in alignment with my values. Yeah. And I think that also is a big thing. A lot of us get caught up in mm -hmm. because we haven't articulated our philosophy or we're not on the same page with family members or friends mm -hmm. about what our philosophy is. We find ourselves shitting 
on ourselves. Mm-hmm. About, oh, mm-hmm. I have to do this because this is what everyone else is doing. I am the most easy breezy person at Christmas time. You guys, I'm like, oh, look at them. They're just out all about in lines. <laughs> not going to do it. But pass. Hard, <laughs> but, okay. pass. Hard pass, man. Okay, so before I let you guys go, we're going to do what we call our Redefining Wealth Rapid Wisdom Questions. I'll ask you uh, a few things. Tell us the first thing that comes to mind, and we'll go in order. Emily, you'll answer first. Joe, you next, because ladies first, of course. Um, All right, so here we go. How do you define success? Success is when you are filling your days in ways that feel satisfying um, and uh, reflective of not only your values, but also your strengths. Oh, am I answering the same question? You are. Yeah. I thought I was answering the next one. No, (laughs) you answer the same question. How do you define success? Emily, Emily always has the, the, the best answer because I could, I could say ditto, but, 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 but success, success for me is when I am living an intentional life according to values that I've stated. I'm doing what I know is uh, the plan. Love it. Okay. Emily, how do you define wealth in three words or less? Um, Having enough. Contentment. Joe, that was my word for last year. So good. All right. Um, Emily, what's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Uh, Your Money or Your Life um, by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. Um, It articulated a lot of ideas that I had um, that were very amorphous about um, how I wanted money to be to work in my life and what kind of energy I wanted it to bring to my my life. Um, but before I read it, I, I I would not have been able to to go. Oh, this is what they mean. This is how to do it. And so that that book was really transformational for me. I love that book too. I'm going to go a completely different way with this because for me. Wealth for me is if I had more words <laughs> than three would be, would be, I love creativity. Mm-hmm. I love taking these things that seem to have nothing to do with each other and diffuse them and have this fun. And uh, so for me, a book called steal like an artist by a guy named Austin Cleon is a fan. It's a little tiny book. You don't even read it end to end. You pick it up, but it says, it says to be more creative, don't rip stuff off like that dude ripped off Emily. Remix, take stuff you love, make it your own, pay homage to it and, and create this thing that's uniquely you. But when you look at the world that way, Patrice, you find out there's opportunities for creativity all over the place. They're all around you. And so that's, that's mine, steal like an artist. Yeah, I love that. And that creativity is opportunity for even more wealth building, right? Because now you can think outside the box about your, Mm -hmm. your path. I love it. Okay, this is the last part. It's fill in the blank. So my name is and to me, the truth about wealth is my name is Emily Guy Birkin. And the truth about wealth is it's available to all of us if we 
are able to embrace abundance. My name is Joe Salcihai, and the truth about wealth to me is that getting stacked does not mean having more money. It means having more life and building everything to build a better life. Oh, I love it. I love it. And make sure we see a, a picture of the book. Let's hold it up. Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management. Yes, you guys, make sure you grab a copy of Stacked. And how can they connect with you guys uh, out there in the interwebs? Uh, well, you can find me at my website, emilyguyberkin.com. Uh, and uh, so I have, um, I post blogs there. You can find all of my books. Uh, Stacked is actually my fifth title. Um, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Emily Guy Birkin. And then Joe and I are doing a 40 city book tour. Joe's doing all 40 cities. I'm doing much fewer than those. <laughs> Um, and uh, you can find out about where we'll be if you go to uh, Emily Guy Birkin forward slash stacked and click on the uh, the world tour graphic and we <laughs> world tour is in quotation marks. <laughs> it's, so. it's darn near world tour. Yeah, I, I know. Joe, where can we find you? Yeah, you'll find me three days a week at the Stacky Benjamin show. We call it the greatest money show on earth because, as you know, Patrice from being on it, it is a circus. It is a circus. My it's job phenomenal. is it's not to be the last word in personal finance. I want to introduce them to people like Patrice and Emily and, and voices that are out. There's so many great voices. And as you ladies know, we need more voices. So if you're thinking about writing, about having a podcast, about whatever, do it because we need more people doing this. But anyway, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the Stacking Benjamin Show or on Twitter, it's Average Joe Money. Just say hi. Yes. And you'll love following Joe on Twitter as well a lot he's, of dad jokes yeah he's nuts <laughs> he's just nuts you guys thank you so much for being here listen purpose chasers make sure that you grab a copy of stacked and you also connect with emily and joe they are just incredible human beings a wealth of information and they're going to give you all the practical money stuff that you probably came to redefining wealth to get and then i tricked you and now you're just here getting your whole <laughs> life but it's okay that's why i'm introducing you to these phenomenal folks as well because we are all partners in helping you take your financial life to the next level and they're are so many different ways to do that there's so many different avenues and we just wanted to make sure you were covered today so i hope you enjoyed this episode of the redefining wealth podcast make sure you connect with me in social media at seek wisdom pcw and listen until next time i want you to go live your life's purpose find fulfillment and keep earning more without feeling like you have to chase money talk to you later
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.